Well, thank you very much. And I, I'm so excited to be here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so this is our first time in Baton Rouge. Not our first time in Louisiana, but our first time in Baton Rouge. And it's been such a delight to be in your city, in your community, among your people, and with your church family. So I just want to say thank you. It's been uh, a very memorable time for us where God has deposited immensely, and we've just enjoyed. And so I'm excited also about having a chance to be here in this capacity with you this morning. Uh, I, I firmly believe that the Lord has something to, to encourage us with. And so if you would, man, I want to invite you to join me in the Bible in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And if you happen to have an actual like book Bible, <laughs> man, I would welcome you to grab that and open it up. Um, because no, no shame in this game, no judgment here. I mean, if you use your phone, great, use your phone. Uh, but I love to be in the presence of the Lord and in the good company of each other. And so uh, I would encourage you, man, open up uh, a, a book Bible. And I mean, you can even join me. I'm going to put my phone on airplane mode here for a minute. And, um, and if you don't have a paper Bible, a book Bible, I'll be happy to share mine with you on the screens. But I would love for us to just completely engage in what God has for us in this space this morning together. As I was getting ready for this time, uh, man, looking at Luke chapter 10, I, uh, I couldn't help but have this question that popped up to me in my head. And it was, like, if you had the opportunity to sit face to face and eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ, have a conversation with him, like, what's a question you would ask him? What would you ask him? And so I started asking like everybody, my friends at work, and then some people that I meet at a cigar shop that I go to, and just, I mean, I asked neighbors and friends. I even asked a few folks here. Uh, my favorite answer was from my middle daughter, June. So here's our whole family. Uh, we are, yeah, Denise and I, my wife, we've been married for 21 years, uh, and we have three kiddos. They're all five years apart, so 17, 12, and our young man, Drew, he'll be seven in April. So I was talking to June, and to kind of give her some context for the question, uh, one of her favorite things is to go to Menchie's and get frozen yogurt. I was like, so June, you're on a trip to Menchie's with Jesus. So you're going to go inside, you're going to get some frozen yogurt, you're going to walk back outside, and you're going to find yourself on the warm, sun-baked brick steps, having some Menchie's one-on-one with Jesus. Now what would you ask him? And she sat there for a minute, and she said, what flavor did you get? <laughs> and can I tell you, it so beautifully opened my eyes to the humanity of Jesus. We so often relish in the divinity, the truly God nature of him, his power, his connection to the Father. And that he only does what he sees him doing. But when she asked that question, it made me think, oh my goodness, there are absolutely delicatessens in Capernaum that he looks forward to and loves and, and dreams about. It was so wonderful. What flavor did you get? Well, I'm curious, what would you ask him? If you had that opportunity had a moment to sit face to face, eye to eye with Jesus. It's not a question you can answer fast. In all my conversations, there was one point where I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was like, man, one question I might ask is like, 
Are we good? Like, <laughs> that's probably an important question, right? Are, are we good? Today we're going to look at an instance where an expert in the Mosaic law, an expert in the law of Moses had this very opportunity. Face to face, eye to eye with Jesus and ask him a question. Before we step into that conversation, maybe one more time, encourage the Lord to guide our conversation together this morning. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come. Lord God, thank you for this wonderful gathering of your children and your friends. I ask, Lord, that you would absolutely encourage every heart as only you can. What you've cooked up this morning, Lord, we know is going to be delicious. So we open our appetite to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go. So Luke chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 25. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Again, this is an expert in the law of Moses. This guy really enjoys having high-level conversations with other high-level folks about the law and all matters, spirituality and religion, right? And he is looking for a debate. It says here clearly that he is looking to test Jesus. He kind of wants to go round and round a little bit. We see ties to this conversation in Matthew chapter 22 and also in Mark chapter 12. Now, Matthew 22 has also this test theme to it. In Mark 12, there's actually a much warmer shaping of the conversation. It's actually enthusiastic and energetic and positive. Right here in the middle with Luke chapter 12, it's kind of the beautiful blend of both. All right? And so he is asking him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, well, what does the law of Moses say? I mean, how do you read it? We can see Jesus engaging the debate, right? He knows his heart, and he gives him room to strut his stuff a little bit. It makes me think of, like, the famous sword scene in The Princess Bride, right? There's a moment in this sword fight where they really get after it, and there's even, like, some, you know, circling on bar. It's all, but at the beginning, it's like, ting, ting, ting. Shh. There's this fun back and forth and I believe that's what we're seeing here. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What does the law of Moses say? Well, then the man answers. Let's look back at verse 27. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. He knows he's right. He knows he's right. You can look at other conversations. Again, Matthew 22, Mark 12 this is the answer because this is the answer that Jesus gives. In the other conversations, Jesus is asked, and this is the answer that he gives. So this is his first, like, I know what's going on. Saunter, but they're stepping in. And Jesus says to him, that is, this is correct. You've answered correctly. That is right. Man, do this, and you will live. In Mark 12, I love it because in the conversation, Jesus was first talking to the Sadducees about resurrection and he had an awesome Jesus way of giving them something that they had to like think on and could not ignore. 
And so the expert hears that, and he jumps right in and wants to ask him a question about what's the most important law in all of the commandments. And Jesus answers the question, and then the guy chimes right back. He says, man, I know that this is important, to love the Lord with all my heart, all my understanding and strength. He says, I know it's great to love my neighbor as myself. Like, this is more important than to offer all burnt offerings and sacrifices required of the law. And says, Jesus, realizing how much the man understood, said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. It's like playing a game of hot and cold. You're getting warmer. And he says it here as well. Right, man, do this and you will live. Verse 29, it goes on. It says, the expert wanting to justify his actions asked Jesus a question. And who is my neighbor? Now, whether he knew it or not, in this instance, this is where the expert begins to show his hand. So he begins to expose his heart. He wants to justify himself. It's as if to say, okay, so we're agreed on this stuff. Now, who is my neighbor? Give me some parameters. Where's the fence line? Who's actually on my neighbor to-do list? Please clarify that, please clarify those that I don't have to love and affirm those that I have loved I've done an adequate enough job. Who's my neighbor? And he is actually looking for a distinction. Like he's actually expecting Jesus to give him some kind of territorial line that clarifies who are his neighbors and who are his non-neighbors. And it's this idea of non-neighbor that sparks a story in Jesus' response. So I've done a couple of clarifying things here, but to go back to the conversation for a second, let's really listen to it as it happened in real time. And who is my neighbor? A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up. And they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Then a temple assistant, a Levite, walked over, and he looked at him lying there. But he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, two days' wages, and told the innkeeper, please take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, then I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, 
Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And in this moment, with this question, Jesus invites this expert into more. The guy is looking out. Like he wants Jesus to identify neighbors and non-neighbors. He really wants him to point them out. But Jesus instead invites him in. He invites him to be a neighbor. Like, hear me, neighbor is not a person that we identify out there. Neighbor is a person that we become in here. The clarity that Jesus brings is that neighbor is not exterior, man, it's interior. And he invites him into more. I want to use the word more this morning as an acronym to help us see and remember a few things that Jesus invites us into as he brings clarity and vision to this concept of neighbor. Because we, hear me, we are invited into more. So first, a neighbor is moved by compassion. If you're going to take notes at all this morning, then I would say this is the one thing I would encourage you to write down. Because this is actually something that kind of blew my mind in getting ready for this, this weekend. He's moved by compassion. A neighbor is moved by compassion. Go back to verse 33 and 34. It says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him and going over to him. Like we know that all three travelers saw the man on the side of the road, that two stepped away and one stepped toward the priest and the Levite, they drew a visible picture of what was going on inside them. And the Samaritan did the same. He showed, he felt compassion. Uh, compassion, like as far as our word, the English word, it has this derivative from the Latin, right? Two words that mean to suffer with or to suffer together. Here in the Greek, this phrase, he felt compassion, is actually one word in the Greek. And it's splontnizomai. Splontnizomai. And what's crazy about it is that this verb is used 12 times in the New Testament. Only in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And only either to describe Jesus as he is showing compassion and acting and ministering with others or as he tells a story. There are seven different instances where it says he had compassion on them. Like feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000. When there's the two blind men on the road that are crying out, Jesus, son of David, do not pass us by. He had compassion on them. Like we know that Jesus shows us the Father. But I'm here to tell you this morning that as I was getting ready for this, I noticed these 12 instances are really like the phrase, the snapshot, the word that says this is God's heart for his people. Because the three stories that he shares are the parable of the Good Samaritan reading this morning, the parable of the king who forgives the debtors. All right, it's one of my favorite stories because the king has this tremendous compassion and forgiveness on this debt this guy cannot repay. And the guy walks right out of the, of the, of the transaction, grabs the first guy that owes him 50 bucks and says, pay me all you owe me. And it shows God's incredible heart of compassion and forgiveness and mercy and care toward us and our unfortunate hearts towards each other. He had compassion. And then finally, the prodigal son. Even though he was a long way off, the father saw him, 
had compassion for him and ran to him. It's not just a moment of butterflies in your tummy. It is the very heart of God for us. The Samaritan had compassion for him, and he was moved by it. He felt it in his gut, and he acted upon it. Have you guys ever found yourself on the edge of the mall test? Do you even know what the mall test is? Yeah, you do. You just don't know it's called the mall test. So the mall test is when you're out in public and you see somebody that you know and you think to yourself, do I go over and say hi or not? (laughs) That's the mall test. Because there are people that are either like, you know, man, I know I know them, but I don't even know if I remember their name, and they probably absolutely remember mine, and that's just an awkward conversation, so I'm not going over there. And it's like, oh my goodness, that was the person that I met at my wedding, and I love them. I'm going to go say, so like, but like right in the middle, like right on the edge is like, which one are they? (laughs) You're right on the edge of the mall test. Where is that decision happening? Where is that line being drawn? Inside. A couple questions for us all this morning, and myself, absolutely. What is stirring in us and spurring us to step away? And what's stirring in us and spurring us to close the gap? Because I'm telling you right now, man, maybe, maybe it's fear, maybe it's ignorance, maybe it's assumption or apathy. There's always awkwardness, who knows? There are things inside of us that might cause us to withdraw, but there is something inside of us also that causes us to close the gap, to step toward, to move in compassion. It is the Holy Spirit. It's the same Spirit that cries out in us, Abba, Father, is that Spirit that says, man, let's close the gap. Let's be moved by compassion. Galatians 5.16, man, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let's be moved by compassion. A neighbor is also open to serve. We know that each traveler sees the man, but they all react differently. With the priest and the Levite, they keep to themselves. Closed off to the opportunity of offering any help. One commentary says this. It says that the priest and the Levite did not render aid. Why is speculative and irrelevant? The story stresses one thing. The religious ones seeing his need pass by. The Samaritan He reaches out. He is open to the opportunity. He yields himself to the moment, makes himself available. The man's need becomes his focus. I'm telling you, Jesus is intentionally shaping the character of the Samaritan to reflect those prominent themes that we see throughout Scripture about others First, like Philippians 2, 4, and 5, where it says, do not look out only for your own interests, but look for the interests of others, right? Have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Jesus says it himself in Matthew 20. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life for a ransom. For many. I mean, Jesus knows what he's doing here. As he's telling this story, having this conversation with this expert, there is a part of the story that he does not want him to forget, And that is the part where he steps in, the reaction, the movement, the love, the generosity. And there's a rift that Jesus is going to challenge him to no longer sustain. And so the story form would be obvious to anyone, especially an expert. You're going to start with the priest, 
And then you're going to have a Levite as your next character. And then the next character is going to be like a Jewish layman. Like that was the expectation. Anybody listening who knew Jewish story form would know. Okay, he's saying a priest. Okay, he's saying a Levite. It's going to be a Jewish layman. Priest, Levite, Samaritan. There's just this beautiful intentionality of like, please don't miss this. And all of the animosity that was present between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jesus is saying, saying, please don't sustain this. Please don't prolong this. I mean, if you guys are familiar with it, I mean, I was familiar this week before we were doing some really in-depth study that like, I knew that there was tension between the Samaritans and the Jews, right? And there was this, this, this intermarriage in the Samaritan, like um, in Samaria, that the Jews frowned upon, and so there was, there was beef, right? There was, there was beef, right? Now we got bad blood, right? Um, but it goes way deeper than that. This was like a genuine religious rift. In 111 B.C., there were Jewish leadership who went over to Mount Gerizim where their temple was, the Samaritan temple, and they, dropped it, they, they eradicated it. And then shortly after A.D., like 6 or 9 A.D., the Samaritans go back to the temple in Jerusalem, and on Passover, they litter the temple in Jerusalem with bones, human bones, to desecrate it. Like, I mean, we're talking about real religious tension. These guys don't like each other. But Jesus is pulling them together in a moment of need. Because we, there might be something inside our hearts that has us draw away, but even if somebody were to come toward us with love and an open hand and mercy, we might, may not be able to know how to receive it, depending on what's on our hearts. But when you need it, it has a way of bringing down some walls and kind of having everybody with open hands. The next thing that a neighbor is, man, is that they are radically generous. We're moved by compassion. We are open to serve, and we are radically generous. Let's look at this story for just a moment from the vantage point of the man who was attacked by the bandits. Left half dead. So I don't know if he's conscious or not. I don't know if he's aware of what's going on. I don't know what half dead looks like. Back to Princess Bride. He's mostly dead, right? Um, So who knows if he were able to know that guys were passing by. But one reality is certain. He's not getting up by himself. Half dead is left for dead. Dude needs help. And so we could say, man, like there was this hope as people passed, came by and passed by that was then just like, dropped but then all of a sudden he goes from hopelessness to complete restoration because here comes this samaritan who's radically generous with him who goes over to him who puts oil and wine on his wounds and bandages them he puts him on his donkey he brings him to the inn he takes care of him overnight he gives the innkeeper money he requests that the innkeeper take care of him he promises to cover any additional expenses with the words i will repay Can I just tell you something? The man who was attacked by bandits is never going to forget this. Radical generosity has a way of impressing the love of God in a heart to where it's unmistakable and absolutely memorable. Potentially, come on Jesus, life-changing. Radically generous. I have a story about radical generosity that I've never forgotten. I'm going to save our time here, but if you want to hear it, catch me after service. It's a lot of fun, and it's about Pearl Jam. So if you're a Pearl Jam fan, you got to hear it before you leave. Okay, last thing. A neighbor is, in, uh, a neighbor is engaging those who need a neighbor. 
So we're moved by compassion. We're open to serve. We're radically generous, and we are actually engaging those who need a neighbor. There's a great number of ways that Jesus could have handled this conversation. The parable's over, but step out of the parable back into the conversation. Jesus could have said any number, any number of things to this guy. He knew his heart. He knew how he was being tested. He knew how the conversation was going. But he was kind enough to shepherd him, to engage him, to have a relationship with him and invite him into something far more than what he even knew he was asking. And so Jesus says to him, and taking into consideration what you've just heard, which of these men was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? He invites him to process what he's been taught and what he's been told and the invitation that he's been given. And the man responds, the one who showed him mercy. Man, it's just obvious that Jesus has touched a sensitive place in his heart. He's challenged him because he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. But he also can't bring himself to deny the truth that that's the answer. And so all he can say is, the one who showed him mercy, he sees the truth plainly and he sees the courageous and challenging step that Jesus is inviting him to take when he says, yes, now go and do the same. There's steps we've all taken. May I encourage you this morning with the idea that this eternal life that the conversation began with, I believe we'll find it in the steps that we haven't taken. Steps of faith, steps of compassion, generosity, openness to serve. There are things that the Lord is inviting into us so much more awaiting us in our next faith-filled, new, obedient step. So, as we wrap up our time together this morning, I have a few steps to consider and walking out this idea of the Lord changing our hearts and developing us as rich, moved by compassion neighbors. Number one, let's do some soul searching. Again, we draw the lines of division in our hearts. I draw the lines of division in my heart. That's, that, that's where they start. And depending upon how I shepherd that and navigate that in my own heart with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, my Holy Spirit guiding my life will depend upon how interactive and how withdrawn I may be. So I would encourage you, man, can you name one or two people that you sense on the inside you're keeping at arm's length and just ask the question, why? Ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and understanding and counsel as to what's going on. What needs to be addressed? What timeline does it need to be addressed? But let's do that soul search. If there's someone in our lives that we're keeping at an arm's distance, God, how do we begin to close that gap? Or maybe number two, we can step on it. When we see or sense an opportunity to serve, and it could be something as tiny as being in a grocery store, 
and seeing somebody in an aisle and having a thought of like, your mustache looks perfect. I absolutely love those shoes. I mean, step out and say it. Lavish them with the love of Jesus and the encouragement of the Lord and like share your joy and brightness. Man, let's, let's step on it. Let's engage those opportunities to serve, those tiny things and those big things. Hey, can you help me move this weekend? Dang it. Yes. I'll even cancel my softball game and my gut. You know, let's step on it. Man, let's dream up an endeavor of radical generosity. Let's open our imagination and partner with God our Father and His loving heart toward everyone and just see what might get cooked up in that surrender of how we can truly just radically bless somebody in a way that they'll never forget. And finally, I didn't put this one up here, but you gotta have a point for all the points, right? Um, Who is that person we might wanna engage this week? How would the Holy Spirit direct us, nudge us, encourage us, and to engage somebody who needs a neighbor? Now here's the deal. One, and again, please hear my heart. Oh my goodness, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for your desire to find yourself in a space on a Sunday morning in God's presence and in the good company of his people. It's a delight to be here. I want to take just a couple of minutes and again invite the Holy Spirit as we close in prayer to really direct us, to really even direct me as to what step I could take, new step to learn more of him. So let's take a moment Let's listen, each heart in the room. And after just a moment, I'll close this in prayer.